1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can actually be unapologetic about that if I learn to build my business in a way where I'm generating a win win, where it's not the zero sum game. So the moment you have those two pieces, you actually open up a very different way of thinking about business and running your business.
2: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another frigid day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also, I want to remind you that the Qualified Leadership Book Series, which includes all three of my best-selling leadership books, is now available at my website, johnsrenny.com. You get all three books for 15% off the Amazon and Barnes & Noble price, but this offer is only available on my website. This is the perfect way to get 2024 off to a powerful start. So check it out at johnsrenny.com. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about doing good and making money, and my guest is Bessie Graham. Bessie works with companies to bring the idea of doing good and making money back together again. In fact... She says, doing good is the competitive advantage most businesses are missing. Now this is an interesting concept. The question is, can businesses actually make money doing good? Well, Bessie says yes and tells us how in this eye-opening conversation. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bessie Graham. Bessie is an award-winning entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience working with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies to bring doing good and making money back together. She works with established business leaders who want to build on their success and align their company with their values, but are concerned about the impact of these changes on their bottom line. She helps them understand that they can do good and make money. In fact, doing good is the competitive advantage their businesses have been missing. So I'm excited to have her on the show to understand how we can all do good and make money in our businesses. So Bessie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Looking forward to this one. I am as well. And I'm excited about this topic and it's the first time we've ever really talked about it uh, in the show's history. So I'm excited to have you on because you're sort of the expert in this area. And as we talked about before we press record, is I see a major shift happening in the way we have to lead our companies. And I think this is an important thing to, that we have to understand. Uh, otherwise, we we could find ourselves in trouble, especially with a lot of our employees who, who come to our companies because they want to see us doing good in the world. So I'm excited about yeah. this.
1: No, absolutely. It's a um, more and more, it's a topic that as leaders, we cannot ignore. <laughs>
2: No, not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. So, one of the things I would start off is um, that you say that each leader needs to define what success means for them. Um, so, my question is: is how to how do business leaders need to do this, and how do they avoid trying to live someone else's life or someone else's dream? So, how do they help them? How do you help them? You know, find their own personal success.
1: I mean, it's an interesting one, and it also does tap into that initial uh, piece you mentioned around these shifts in society and trying to figure out what does it actually look like to do good in a business or what is it to have a meaningful life? Any of those types of questions, when we come at them from a leadership perspective and a self-awareness, personal development kind of angle, really, I think that we can take the first step that I kind of come at it from is to take it all the way back to the fact that the ancients, so in the ancient Greek times, they always spoke about the foundational first step is know thyself. Mm. And when we are the types of people that are goal-setting, achiever-focused, high-performing people, and that is how we have always operated in the world, it's, it's our natural stance to any situation, what I find is that this whole topic of success or what success looks like or what a strong, decisive leader is, there are so many messages externally about that, that if you are not someone who actually takes the time to pause and know thyself, then we have lived for decades being rewarded for achieving, hitting the next goal, set the next big goal, charge after that, not for pausing and actually being uh, in a place of discernment to say, huh, I could chase after that, but is that actually what I want? Or would that actually bring a, a new level of fulfillment or satisfaction? Like, is that a challenge I actually want to go after? So I would say the first piece from a leadership perspective is to go all the way back to know thyself Mm. and to use that as the reminder that we can't lead others until we lead ourselves. And if we're wondering why, particularly in the last few years, I've seen this massive increase of just absolutely exhausted and disillusioned leaders Mm. who feel like I've done all the right things. I've worked hard. I've, you know given my all. Why does this not feel like I thought it would? And my sense, and certainly uh, from both my studies and my experience over the last few decades, is that much of that disillusionment and exhaustion is coming because people did exactly what you framed in that question. they they were actually running someone else's race. It wasn't even what they, really would find satisfaction in or fulfillment in. So I'd, I see that as the, the first starting point for a leader. And then a close second kind of transitions into this aspect that I've already hinted at around the fact that we are living in a society that is telling us, you can be anything you want to be. If you put your mind to it, if you work hard, you can be anything. And I just don't think that's true. It might be kind of technically true in some aspects, but at what cost? And part of what this exploration is for us as leaders is to say, actually, I have certain skills. I have a certain disposition that I come at things from. My unique brilliance is going to show up differently to someone else's. And unless I really get clarity on those things... I'm pretty much guaranteed that I'm heading for burnout, exhaustion, disillusionment because my personality is going to be that I will go hard after it. And so that makes it even more important for us as leaders to do the pause because where someone else might just plod along, we are going to go in all guns blazing. So make sure you're headed in the right direction
2: I think it's really important. and I know at least in my career, I found that. I was twenty two years in working for three global companies, you know, vice president, you know, moving up the corporate ladder. I saw my peers, you know, buying fancy cars and bigger houses. and I remember thinking to myself, I don't want any of that. like I don't I have no desire for that i I enjoy I enjoy seeing businesses turn around and employees getting excited and 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 hitting new records of performance i I I was thrilled by that, but sort of chasing the, the dollar wasn't my thing. And, and I found part of the reason why I left corporate eight years ago and started my own company, because I liked, I liked the freedom to be able to lead in the way I want to lead. And, and it was less about the money and more about, uh, you know, doing things the way I want to do things and not being sort of beholden to corporate policies or what have you. So for me, it was like a freedom and it was less about money.
1: And each person's answer to that is going to be different. Mm. But I think the root cause or driver that you described there is going to be consistent for leaders, which Mm. is that part of why we always find ourselves in that position of leadership, or we're always the person stepping forward, solving the problem, is that we are the types of people who don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be boxed in. And in fact, the moment you do that, I often say to people, oh, I can... Trick myself and think I'm getting to a place of maturity or wisdom, and then all it takes is for someone to tell me I have to do something, or like that I feel my backs against the wall, and I suddenly behave like I'm a three-year-old having a tantrum. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh, don't tell me I have to do that. Right. So right. that that's common for us, and so I think the the aspect then is to say we'll then dig a little deeper and. You know, one of the other words that people are often using is talking about integrity and wanting to have integrity or live with integrity. And Aquinas talked about that. You know, the the phrase was integritas, but it's the the same sort of topic. But it was defined as when something reaches its own fulfillment or realization. And so, when we think about it as a leader, we are going to show up at our best, and it will be sustainable, not exhausting. When it is that aspect of its our own fulfillment and realization, not an external idea of what leadership or success is.
2: Yeah, I, I, I def- definitely have seen that in my life, and uh, and I think those leaders that sort of figure that out, they they are less. There's a lot less stress, you know. There's sort of like I'm I'm doing what I was put on earth to do. I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm and I, It's consistent. You're living. And working consistent with your beliefs. And I think that's when that's aligned, everything sort of calms down and life gets, you know, good. It becomes excellent because you're, you're, you're doing what you were meant to be and you're living your values consistently. And I think that's yeah. that's there's definitely a good feeling when you're doing that.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a there's a hard truth that people don't really like to sit with. But if we go back to that aspect of society telling us you can do anything. Yeah. And, and yes. saying, well, but at what cost? In, uh, I'm not sure if you're someone who's read the the Bhagavad Gita, but in, in that ancient classic, what uh, Krishna talks about is the fact that you are better off losing at your own dharma than winning at someone else's. So if you think of dharma as your calling or your purpose, even if it looks like we win, but it was someone else's mm. purpose or their, their particular life um, kind of mission, it's actually, that's not worth doing. And so the the hard thing for us to accept is that when we think of our calling or our purpose, who we are at our fullest expression, so that integritas aspect, then uh, whether you miss by an inch or a mile, the result is the same. You're not going to feel or experience that sense of fulfillment. You're not going to actually be able to sustain it long term. And leadership is a long game. It's not a sprint. So it's actually this as a conversation. I mean, we could have the whole conversation about it, but it, it's <laughs> yes. so critical for us as leaders as that starting yeah. point.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me, for sure. Yeah, so let's let's shift, shift gears a little bit. Talk about this idea. We, 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 we talked about in the introduction this idea that leaders can... Do good and make money, so it's the two things that we we can actually do those things together, and you also say that um, that doing good can be the competitive advantage that often businesses have been missing. So talk us through some of that that the idea of the both, which is doing good and making money and how that can be a competitive advantage.
1: sure. and look language is a powerful thing and certain words can be off-putting to some people and draw other people in. I know that for some, using the word good it has so many connotations that they kind of struggle with that. If you struggle with thinking about this around doing good and making money, another way to think of it is how do we merge money and meaning? So mm. the good piece, when I use that word, I am not uh, saying that everyone should care about the same thing or have the same beliefs or that there's a one right or wrong way to run a business just think about it related to contribution meaning purpose whatever word sits well with you use that and the really the starting point for this conversation when i work with leaders and try to shift this mindset around the fact that for decades we have been programmed to believe that these ideas of doing good and making money or money and meaning are mutually exclusive. We've been told you need to choose. Mm. And so it doesn't matter where in the world I go, when I talk to leaders, I will over and over hear the same types of phrases where depending what conversation we're having, they'll say, well, yes, Bessie, but I did set up a business. I'm running a business here, not a charity. Mm. Or they'll say, well, with my philanthropic hat on, You know, so we flip between as if we're totally different people or our strategy couldn't possibly combine the two. And we need to start by actually making that conscious and saying there are beliefs we have taken on, either intentionally or not, about the role of business, about the purpose of business, that are actually limiting how much money we make that are limiting our experience of meaning and purpose through our work because we have just swallowed this lie that it's an either-or decision mm, and that business okay. is this zero-sum game. Yeah. And so the, the aspect for me is actually often people will at first just say, yeah, totally agree with you. How exciting. It's great to be able to do both. But then when I dig into their business and I dig into the way they make decisions or how they're leading – that aspect of actually operating like they're mutually exclusive is the truth of what's, what's driving their behaviour and decision-making. And so in terms of uh, your question around, you know, what does this look like and, and how does that work in a business what are the competitive advantages, I've spent uh, 24 years now in the area of what was originally ethical investment then became impact investment capacity building trying to help businesses in that small to medium size in particular that's that's been a big focus for me get to a place where they could have a business model that allowed them to be these incredible contributors and drivers of the economy in really positive ways and do that in a way that was also uh, making money and what i have found is that when you don't just pay lip service to it, you don't just say, yes, uh, we're doing both and we like to give back with our business. When you address the mindset and you actually integrate those two ideas, then what you unlock are a whole bunch of competitive advantages. So when I work with people, I talk through nine competitive advantages that you can tap into if you start to merge money and meaning. But the starting point is that We need to come back to actually addressing this conversation and to leverage those advantages, you need to bring that concept of contribution or good back inside how you actually operate the core business. Because what I see, I've framed it as the two camps trap, where typically people tend to look at their business in what I would call the external camp. Mm. So they think I just need to run the business, it needs to make more money than I spend, Uh, I'm going to focus on that profit maximization or shareholder value maximization and as I do uh, better and the business is making more money, I'll be able to be generous. I can then give Mm -hmm. a percentage of a donation of my profits or my pro bono time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That mentality is the external camp because what you're doing is you're saying, my contribution in the world might be enabled by my business, but it's all external. It's me giving a donation to a charity or it's me uh, giving some of my time to a different organisation. The advantages I'm talking about and the shift of where this becomes really powerful, particularly in the operating environment we now operate with all of those shifts you've you've kind of hinted at, requires us to come back inside the operations of the business and say, How am I making that money in the first place? So, are there uh, opportunities to make decisions differently, to hire differently, to create a different culture or look at my supply chain? Those questions shift us into the internal camp where we're taking responsibility as a leader for the decisions we're making, how we spend money, and how we treat people.
3: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: As a leader, you're responsible for the mission and the people assigned to you. Regardless of the size of your team, employees are depending on you for their lives and careers. For the sake of your team and the people who entrust you with this role, you need to master the skills to become a great leader. Best-selling leadership author John Rennie is proud to introduce the Qualified Leadership Book Series. This new series teaches you how to become a people-centered leader. Great leaders know that employees who are respected, appreciated, and allowed to grow will go the extra mile. These books provide real-world leadership wisdom written from a hands-on perspective. If you want to be a more effective leader, this is the one book series you should read this year. This three-book series contains the following best-selling leadership books. I Have the Watch, You Have the Watch, and All in the Same Boat for one low price of 39 dollars Begin your journey to become a leader worth following. Go to johnsrenny.com and get your order in today. This episode is brought to you
2: by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation, it's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the resilient leadership assessment tool. This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves, Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Liberty strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at libertystrengthtx.com to find out more and get your initial consultation schedule with him today. It does make a lot of sense. And I think the, um, and, and again, we talked about earlier that that there's a shift happening now where, you know, the shareholder concept of, of shareholder value of, of the 80s and 90s starting to sort of fade away. And I think especially, you know, from a leadership standpoint, we need to be thinking about this because I think, what well, my experience is that the younger employees see companies are, are exist not just for making money, but for doing good in society as well. And they want to be part of an organization and they want to buy into, um, you know, a company that is, that has a vision that's consistent with theirs in the world, you know, whether it's, um, donating extra pairs of shoes for every sale they make or, uh, you know, donating a percentage to certain charities or, you know, only sourcing from, you know, ethical, uh, suppliers that, you know, you know, And, and I think that and, and so I think from a from an employee standpoint, there are the employees will will stand up. And we've seen employee protests on the rise uh, really post pandemic uh, and even during the pandemic where employees are standing up saying you are not acting consistent with what your beliefs are, Mr. Company, and we're going to we're going to step out of work until you do. Yeah operate consistent I think with that, your principles and I think it's really interesting it's a big shift I've never saw that happen before
1: and I think it's a shock for a lot of leaders particularly uh, <laughs> in the <laughs> yeah, business yeah. space because there has been a pretty yes there's been ups and downs uh obviously in the economy and in different sectors but a pretty consistent pattern for decades now that has allowed business leaders to treat anything expensive or slightly uncomfortable as an externality. So that word of externalities yeah. has been uh, covering up or at least camouflaging the real costs of decisions, the real damage being done, and it's made some, well, many business models look highly profitable, but only on the back of privatising the benefits and socializing more broadly the downsides of that and so I think that your point is a really good one in that from all kinds of angles whether it's internally from your own staff whether it is simply related to looking at the increases in things like insurance premiums or different regulatory and compliance requirements aspects if you have physical products and you're wanting to be able to, um, import and export into, say, Europe, the European Union will not be allowing people to bring their products in unless you can actually show that you haven't contributed to deforestation. All of these things that so many business leaders who were coming at it in that angle I talked about before, where they say, well, I'm running a business, not a charity. right? right. They have not had to think about those questions because in their mind, that was for Philanthropy or environmental groups or the government, it was someone else's problem. These shifts both internal expectations from staff, the external pressures of compliance regulation, customers demanding to actually no longer accept you putting up a nice little quote or a promise or saying our values are these things, but needing you to be demonstrating it in your behaviour. These are the aspects of why I'm really encouraging leaders to go on this journey now because the, the ch- changes are happening rapidly and yeah. they're only accelerating. So if you don't start to engage with what does this mean for my business, my uh, advice to to leaders is to say that the quicker you at least begin, I don't think it's wise for you to go from zero to 100. So I'm not saying do everything straight away. But at least begin to look at your business differently from this perspective and start to identify where are my biggest gaps here? Where are there things where actually there's serious risk for the business if I don't start to consider this or I'm missing opportunities if I don't get on board? There's some of those uh, aspects that need to come in. And I think some of the examples you gave sat in that uh, external camp category of expectations around donating to um, certain causes or other organisations that are outside our business. But the pieces that are both uh, probably the most demanding of a leader's attention and that also present the biggest opportunity for us are the ones that come right back inside the business. So they're the examples you used around the ethical supply chains or looking at is there um, slave labour or child labour in our supply chain? Are there components in our packaging that we could actually reconsider? And if we go back to this creating a win win, mm. are there opportunities where by us thinking differently, the innovation that emerges is we actually come up with a solution that saves us money and has a better environmental impact? So I want leaders to actually come at this from a place of excitement, not going, oh my goodness, it's another thing I've got to get my head around. It's going to be a cost and an expense and a distraction from our strategy. When you start to merge money and meaning in this way and actually think about the purpose of business differently, what it does for you is it allows you to always be looking for that opportunity to create the win-win? How is this better and strengthening the financial stability of the business, but also contributing in a positive way or reducing those negative impacts in areas that are actually really important?
2: Yeah, I see that. I definitely see that. Can can you give us maybe some examples of maybe companies that have figured this out and are making um, you know, have, have made active moves in that direction and now have, you know, been more successful because they've sort of embraced the idea of doing good and making money and bringing these two. I just, trying, I know I'm probably putting you on the spot, but I wonder if you can think of a couple of examples of Absolutely. of companies. I, I have some in the back of my mind, but I'm just curious to know if you had some that you thought or have done a good job at this.
1: So... To give you some of the examples around those pieces I was just describing, and these will be with bigger companies so their names people will recognise because sometimes that's a helpful place to start. Yeah. So when we think of that innovation opportunity, um, I don't know if you use the business model canvas, but I'm a big fan of the business model canvas as a way to be able to visualise all of the parts of your business in, in one page. And when we think about our business from that perspective of the canvas we always say the best opportunities for innovation sit in the back end. So think the the back end of your business where you're thinking about things like your key activities that you do, the key resources you have, the key partners that you have to be able to deliver your value proposition to a customer. So the innovation piece that sits here, which I was hinting at in that last answer, one example would be that Southwest Airlines had this opportunity to innovate that part of their business, where they looked at what it was customers actually wanted from them, what was important. Because so often as leaders, we can fall in love with our product or service and actually yep. not tune into what's important to the customer. Right, right. So when they realized that customers were focused on, okay, I want to have on time departures and arrivals, and I want to have a really as cheap as possible uh, flight, uh ticket. They realised that in their key activities, they had made this assumption and were just doing what all airlines did and were doing seat allocation. But they were like, actually, unlike other airlines, we don't have customers who want that prestige of, I get on first and I can pick the best seat and I'm a frequent flyer. So they looked at what's that win-win where they could actually strengthen their value proposition to the customer, but save themselves money in the process. So they stripped out the seat allocation as one of their key activities, which was costing millions of dollars a year with all the systems and time it was taking. And in the process, strengthened the financial stability of the business and how it stacked up, but also delivered a better outcome to a customer. So if you look Mm -hmm. at that as that win-win, we're saying, stop thinking of business as a zero sum game, where in order for me to win... Someone else needs to lose, yeah, because okay. those aspects you, you've talked to us about of, you know, from the seventies when Friedman brought in this idea of, okay, it's about shareholder um, as the shareholder primacy of how do yeah, we yeah. increase their value. Those notions actually have not, if people looked at the the evidence and looked at uh, share share prices. Ever since that came in, the opposite has, has occurred. That It's actually reduced shareholders' returns because, as I said to you at the beginning, our beliefs about the purpose of business are actually limiting our ability to make money. Yeah. When you think about business in that way and it's this scarcity mentality and it's the zero sum of I have to get ahead at the cost of other people, then what we do, even if it's not coming from a vicious place, so it's not that I'm saying everyone who operates like this is uh, um, a selfish human, but the reality is that how it will play out is you will start to be looking for those desperate attempts of how can I increase my profits? How do I get more revenue into this business? Okay, I need to come in that back end and slash costs. The win-win and shifting out of zero sum allows us to say, huh, if I actually learn to work, my business in a way that merges these things that used to be seen as mutually exclusive, I can actually strengthen the results I deliver, the value proposition to a customer or the environmental uh, impacts, while at the same time strengthening my business in the process. And the exciting thing for us as leaders is when you genuinely get to that place of learning how to do that and what that looks like in your business, then as your business does grow, you can be proud of that. There's not this awkward tension of, ooh, um, okay, I've actually had to exploit other people to make this money, so now I'm in this guilt right. mode of I need to give a, give away even more money or set up a foundation to clear my conscience. So I, I think that probably is the the segue into some of those, those conversations around... Um, You know, what does it actually look like and how do you not get into that place where you're looking at business as being the approach that is purely profit maximization? Mm.
2: So how do you get started? I mean, when you, you know, our listeners are hearing this and they're like, okay, I get it. It's not just about doing good for good sake. It's about doing good that's actually going to add value to the business, be a competitive advantage, also increase our profitability. So, I like this. I like it. it's not just doing good that's going to cost me somewhere else. This is so that they, they get it. So, how do they get started? Is it about you know sitting down and really reflecting on the company's values and where they want to be, or or what their vision is in the future? Uh, do they gather some of the you know some of the employees that and, and start thinking about these things? How do you go about beginning this conversation in the company?
1: Well, in many respects, it's this is a bit of a full circle moment of going back to where we started of that aspect of the reflection and know thyself because what it looks like is going to be different for every business and I want it to look different for every business. So I am not a purist. I am not here teaching business leaders that there's one answer or trying to get everyone to believe what I believe or care about what I care about. I think that the best way to get great outcomes here and for business to be that powerful agent for change in the world is to actually celebrate that we all care about different things. We're all driven by different aspects and we need that. I don't actually want every business to choose the same thematic and say, okay, we're all focusing on plastics in the ocean. Yeah. Okay, but what about education? (laughs) What about health? What about aged care? Like there's so many topics and if we go back to that piece of uh, the idea of Dharma or calling, mm. people will be able to sustain it if they're actually passionate and interested. So I think the starting place as a business leader is to come right back to the ex- really exploring your origin story, both as an individual, if you're the founder or owner. If you're not the founder or owner, then going straight to the origin story of when the business was set up and saying, what was going on in the world? Were we reacting against a gap in the market or an injustice that really made us angry? Were we drawn towards this exciting opportunity that we thought no one else was really nailing and we had a solution? Because these pieces start to both excite us again about why we even began in the first place, and they also start to give us those um, hints and little uh, pieces along the road that guide us towards clarity of what do we actually care about? Where are the areas that we need to get back to? Because you mentioned earlier this idea of uh, what for decades has been the focus of business. And I always say to people, while there are these rapid shifts now happening, and they seem rapid, but for those of us who have been in the space for decades, it's felt very, very long time coming. Um, But (laughs) It's actually not something new because when we think about something like this of the origin story, the roots of business are passionate craftspeople who had a solution they wanted to share or someone who saw a gap in the market and knew that they could step into that. People who start businesses are not starting the business going, I'm here to make as much money as I can, regardless of whose face I have to tread on. That's not the roots of business, historically or today. And so I think it's a more powerful framing to say we're reclaiming the roots of business, what it is to be human, our draw right back to the beginning of of humans' existence around trade and bartering and all of these aspects. They're deeply human. So I think that starting point for a leader is an origin story to say, where did this actually come from? Because when we can focus in on, okay, what is it we care about? Our next piece can then be, what are the unique levers we have to pull? Where do we have certain skills or certain infrastructure that's unique to our business that means we could actually start to play a role in this? Sometimes at that second step, What might emerge for you are actually really negative things. You might say, oh, what emerges is we're actually causing massive damage in our supply chain around these areas. Okay, well, don't go and set up a foundation and start making a donation where there's a tiny percentage of your money going to fix the problem you're causing in the back end of your business. (laughs) Let's start as leaders to just take responsibility for what do we have decision-making rights over? Where do we have influence or control? and start there. So I think th- that's two of the very early steps. But when we get clarity on those things, what it allows us to do is not get so overwhelmed with trying to do everything or feeling apologetic that when a a particular terrible issue happens in society and we feel like, "Oh, we have to support every cause or be an advocate for every topic." No, we don't, but we do have to have consistency and actually demonstrate, here's the work we're doing. We don't just talk a big game. We follow We follow through and back it up with our decisions and our actions. So uh, for people not to feel overwhelmed, it's like start where you are, go back to clarity of the origins and what your unique levers are. Start there.
2: I love that. That's such great practical advice. And I think in in all companies, there's always this founder's intent out there. And if you can discover that, especially if the founders are still around, you can ask mm-hmm. them. But I think that that almost always exists in businesses, even if they've been 100 years old, there's sort of a founder's exactly. intent out there and you can yeah. find it. And gonna, usually well, if
1: you follow that thread, there'll be, you know, even if it's way back and it was a newspaper article of an interview or something, you'll find little traces of those yeah. things.
2: Yeah, I love that. That's great. Um what final message would you like to leave with our listeners about this important topic?
1: I think the, the piece to just focus in on is to dig a little deeper on that first question about what are my actual beliefs about the role of business or my position towards money? Because, Unless we deal with that piece first, it'll come up and bite us at, at different moments. And so pausing long enough to become more conscious of our own bias or, or the beliefs that are really lying under the surface can help us when we then go on this journey that we've talked about of both getting to clarity of self and then going into looking at what does this look like in my business. So I think that would be the first piece, actually questioning the unconscious And then going into a position that comes back to this merging money and meaning or doing good and making money that says, I can actually be unapologetic about that if I learn to build my business in a way where I'm generating a win-win, where it's not the zero-sum game. So the moment you have those two pieces, you actually open up a very different way of thinking about business and running your business.
2: Wow, this is this is really some powerful stuff and I think that if leaders you're listening in and you're like, wow, I haven't really thought about this uh for my business. I've always been out there making money and trying to make money. I haven't really thought about what what is what is the good that we're doing or what is the positive we could be doing as well. If you haven't thought about that, this is a good time to think about it. Hopefully this this triggered some thoughts in your mind and uh I want to encourage you to uh, think about this and also talk to talk to Bessie. Bessie, how can people find out about you and the things that you offer, your services that you offer?
1: Yeah, well, I think probably two quick things related to what you just said. It is an exploration and it's starting to create the space to ask questions and reflect. Yeah. So if people wanted to, as a first step, the only place they need to go, so you don't have to remember lots of different things, if you just go to my website, to BessieGraham.com, then... That's where you'll find um, all of these pieces uh, that will help you with that that next piece. But there's two components that are going to be the most logical place to start. One is there's a, um, we'll share a link to a free download, which is around five questions that every decisive leader can answer. So it goes through the critical things that you want to start actually being honest with yourself of, do I know that? <laughs> Can I answer that question for my business? So have a read of that uh, and use it as a bit of a prompt and a a starting place. And then also I have a free masterclass around this idea of merging money and meaning and trying to really ignite again for for leaders uh, their passion and energy because so many people are exhausted and, and at the moment okay. uh, feeling overwhelmed. And I think This is a topic that if you jump into it and explore it, you will feel yourself come back alive and you'll feel the potential again of your leading your team and operating in a way that allows you to be aligned with what you actually care about. So those two free resources would be the best place to start on the website.
2: Well, fantastic. I've read about links in the show notes for that. And again, listeners, listen, you get something for free here. So if this is triggering you, you're thinking, wow, I really need to consider how we're actually approaching business. Is there an opportunity for me to uh, to think about these things and determine what's best for my business? Then uh, again, there's five questions every leader should be asking themselves. There's a free link uh, right there. You're going to get that. And also the masterclass. If you want to take that and go a little bit further, Bessie offers that masterclass and we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, and again, this, these are important things to think about. Um, your employees are thinking about it. Your customers are thinking about it. Your shareholders are thinking about it. So you need to be thinking about it as well. So it's not something that you, you can ignore and think that you can, again, make a bunch of money and send a check to charity. That's not what we're talking about. <clears throat> so you can you can learn a lot through Bessie and I got to encourage you to go to her website and dig into a little bit more because you're going to learn more about this. So Bessie, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing this topic because I think um, you're giving us a lot to think about and uh, and hopefully we've got some people really thinking about their businesses now differently and uh, and thinking about how they can actually do the things that you recommend, which is that we can do good and make money. So I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this, uh, this thought and this topic.
1: Thank you so much. It's my pleasure.
2: Thank you.
3: For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care.
1: Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day?